Good morning, church. It's good to be with you. I made the long journey across the, I guess, better paved parking lot. Sorry about that this morning. But uh, it, it is great to be your, your new neighbors. And uh, I know a few of you have come over for a little tour. And I hope to see a few, a few more of you come by. And we are, as COVID restrictions lift, we are uh, anticipating having a, a big grand opening. And this is your first of many official invitations. You are all welcome. We hope to, hope to see you there uh, at some time in the fall. But uh, yeah, so glad to, be, glad to be your neighbor. And, uh, and we will be by for some sugar and, and butter and flour and those other things. That's why we moved next to a Mennonite church. We knew that the baking uh, would be well taken care of. We're into, I think, uh, is it, is it uh, 15 months of COVID restrictions? I don't know if, uh, if I should even ask this, but I'll ask. And uh, if you're online, if you're in, do you use the chats, you can put in. Does it, anybody tired of this? Anybody feeling a little bit, uh, a little bit tired? Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's tiring. It's exhausting, I think. I, I've heard this over and over again. I, I spend a lot of time uh, with, uh, with people, uh, more virtually now than in the past. I spend a lot of time, but I spend also a lot of time with leaders. And I spend a lot of time with ministry leaders across multiple denominations all across the country. Uh, and it's a common refrain that people are tired and our leaders are very tired. And it's not just covid before COVID, I had boycotted Facebook. It was my, my one-person protest. I didn't want to be on there, and I had to get on there. And did you know, I did not realize how many experts on everything there are in the world since I got onto Facebook. It's amazing the expertise that comes out of there. Everything from COVID restrictions or government or mask, don't mask, vax, don't vax, race, how do we handle racial issues and, and sexuality and gender and all these things, and there's so many experts and, and so much there. And, and each of those things, they, you know, so I, I'm on there sort of, but I just kind of step back a lot because it's exhausting to process all of that stuff. And one of the things that has really burdened our, our Christian leaders and other leaders too, but I'm concerned here primarily right now about our Christian leaders, one of the things that has burdened them is not just the having to adjust to COVID, but it is weighing out all of these different views and viewpoints that come from the people that they are shepherding and caring for and somehow having constantly to do this. And it is taking a toll and we'll see what happens. But it's, it's exhausting. And, and I got to admit to you, when, when Pastor Bruce asked if I'd share the, today, and he said, yeah, this is the, yeah, sure, I'm happy to share. And then this is your passage. And if you, if you, if you don't know what passage we're in, we're in Matthew 11. Uh, Come to me, you who are heavy burdened, and I'll give you peace, and I'll give you rest. And I thought... Huh, I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to share on that topic right now. You know, 
moving campuses in a Saskatchewan winter in the midst of a pandemic is not a, a restful activity. I don't come to you this morning feeling particularly rested and, and refreshed. And yet, as I dug into this text, I found, as so often is the case, uh, God's Word has a way of just speaking. And so I hope what we can share together this morning uh, in this text, I hope you'll have some of that uh, come as well. Now, if you've been following the series and uh, last week, uh, Bruce shared on, on judgment. And it's not, you know, the most uplifting of topics, perhaps, but, but he shared on judgment. Uh, and the next verses, after Jesus goes and pronounces all these woes, is he shifts now from judgment into a prayer, and in fact, a praise. And you think, well, that's quite the jump, Jesus. How did you go from here to there? But his prayer actually shows us something significant. So if we can turn to Matthew chapter 11, uh, and we're going to read verses 26 and, and 27 here. Matthew 11, 26 and 20, 27. Or sorry, I, I misled you. 25 and 26. Um, but that, that may be not the only thing I mislead you. I tell my students all the time that when I'm teaching them, they really have to pay attention because uh, I only tell them 70% of what's true. The other 30% is not true, but neither they or I know what that 30% is. So that's why you have to be discerning, congregation. So anyway, we'll go to Matthew 25. That's an easy fix. Uh, 25, at the time Jesus said, so this is after, woe to you, Chorazin, Bethsaida, woe to you. Now he moves into that. Jesus says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Now, this is a really profound statement of Jesus. It sounds like something we hear Jesus say all the time in the Gospel of John, for example. Because in the Gospel of John, Jesus is constantly saying, I am. I am. I, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. But here in Matthew's Gospel, we get this. We get this right here. And what Jesus reveals here, when he, he moves from judgment, he moves now to, to prayer. He moves now to, to prayer. And in his prayer, he gives a revelation. And he reveals and he says, woe to them because they didn't get it. They didn't get it. And what didn't they get? They didn't get God's true revelation. Jesus is God's revelation. God's truth is, is revealed truth. And what Jesus said is what God's truth as revealed truth is, God's revealed truth is me. It's me. 
Now, my kids know not to use in the house, and I'm sorry if this offends you. I'm not, well, maybe, I don't know. Anyway, um, my truth. Don't come here telling me about my truth. I got no interest in, in, in your my truth. I have no patience for my truth. And that's one side of this, one extreme portion of the things that we, we wrestle with as leaders is, is people, well, if we just call it truth, append truth to whatever my opinion is, then you have to take it seriously. Well, no. Well, not in my house anyway. My truth. But the other side of it is, is and I often, I often marvel at this as Christians because we, we limit, we, we got to get back to absolutes, absolute truth. We've lost absolute truth and objective truth. And why, why I find that interesting is because people like Richard Dawkins and, and Christopher Hitchens and, and Sam Harris, and if you don't know these people, uh, these are all militant atheists. That is to say, atheists who aren't just happy to be atheists in their own way, but want to make the rest of us atheists too. They're all happy to promote absolute truth and objective truth. But what Jesus says is, God's truth is, is not my truth, and it's not some abstract principle that we, if we all knew we, and agreed upon, we would all follow God, as these atheists don't. Jesus says, God's truth is revealed truth, and that revealed truth is Jesus. And you may be thinking, I didn't get up to come to church or stream online, live stream, to get this basic... Are you telling me that you're just going to give me some message? What's the answer? The Sunday school message, what's the answer? Jesus. It's Jesus. What do they teach over there anyway? Come on, tell me they get deeper than that. Well, sometimes the answer is Jesus. And today, the answer is Jesus. Really, this is where it comes from. This is... This is as deep, so, so Jesus says, thank you, God, that you didn't reveal it to the wise and the learned, but to infants. My message is really simple, and Capernaum missed it, and the message is what they rejected wasn't a better philosophy, wasn't one of the multiple options that they had in Judaism being a Pharisee or a Sadducee or an Essene or a Zealot. It wasn't one of the, the multiple schools of thought of of Stoicism or Epicureanism. It was, Jesus says, here's what's on offer. Me. And it's real simple. Jesus is, is the answer. And so we see this now as we go into the next verse here. Uh, verse 27. Or sorry, verse 28. Uh, Come to me all, you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. First off, notice what Jesus says. Come to not my expert opinion on how the world should run. Jesus says not come to generically God or some abstract principle truth. He says come to me. It is all about Jesus. Come to me, you who are weak and heavy burdened. And here we see something remarkable 
in what Jesus claims. Uh, First of all, one of the challenging things we have as Christians who worship Jesus, genuinely worship Jesus as God's ultimate revelation, as God's revealed truth, is that there's something exclusive about that claim. There's something about that that says, if Jesus really is the manifest revelation of God, it disqualifies multiple other claims to truth. And so there's something exclusive about that, and that's really uncomfortable in our late modern and postmodern world. We're in a pluralistic world. Well, Jesus was in a pluralistic world too. There were all kinds of options, and in general, the Romans had no problem adding another god on. You could add a Jesus on, so long as you also worship the emperor and any of the local deities too. But the followers of Jesus said, no, we can't do that. It's really just Jesus. So there's something exclusive about that, and that's uncomfortable. But there's also something really inclusive in Jesus' offer. He says it emphatically, come to me all who are burdened. All. It is an open invitation. There's no prerequisite to coming to Jesus. We're going to see baptisms today, people who have made a declaration that they have come to Jesus. They're part of the all. So who qualifies? All. If you are feeling weak and heavy burdened, Jesus' invitation is for you to come to see him. And then uh, we see here then, uh, Jesus says, all come to all. Um, I don't think I, I shared with you John, John uh, 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus makes this exclusive claim, but he makes it open to, to, to everyone. Uh, but the, the next thing we see in this, in this verse is something else that might be a little bit uncomfortable. Come to me all, and I will give you rest. The tense is future tense. If you come, I will. And here's one of the realities that we, we need to face, and you've, you've talked about this in your kingdom series, is that God's kingdom is both already and not yet. So those who came to Jesus, those who were burdened by society, those who were slaves, those who were oppressed, those who were women in a patriarchal world, who came to Jesus, by coming to Jesus, the rest of the world didn't magically change. They continued to have to exist like this. But when they came to Jesus, they got two things. One is those who gathered around the name of Jesus had slaves and slave owners as brothers and sisters and had those who were working for Rome as oppressors and those who were being oppressed come together in the name of Jesus, because in the name of Jesus, that status was removed. It didn't mean that they didn't cease to experience these things, but it did remove those those barriers, or were meant to remove those barriers in the name of Jesus. The other thing it gave was hope. Hope for when all of the rest of the cosmos would get in line 
with what Jesus was trying to do and accomplish in his preaching and his kingdom. And so we, we move from this judgment to Jesus' prayer and revelation to his promise and his invitation. And then he changes focus and he focuses on, on us and our place. Our place and our participation. 11.29 to 30, he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You will find rest for your lives, for yourself. Jesus says, come to me, you weak and all of you. And he says, take on my yoke. It's a really important Christian reality that many of us miss. And that is that, that Jesus does not say, come here and I will remove a yoke. The yoke we think of it, we think of it with animals um, doing work, doing heavy labor. But in the New Testament, when it's applied to humans, it's often used as imagery for slavery. Those under the yoke of slavery. And what the New Testament teaches about slavery, and those Gen Xers who know the Matrix will get this, we are all slaves, Neo. The two of you who got that will know what I'm talking about. But anyway, but we are all slaves in the New Testament. Paul writes, Paul, sometimes our translations say, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. That's not strong enough. Paul says, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. And I should have put in your questions. You can add this in for extra credit. Romans 5 and 6, read this. We were moved from bondage of slavery to, to sin and death. But that's replaced by slavery to God and righteousness. There's no, no slave position. We are mastered. We are never given freedom to be free as some absolute sense. We are either enslaved to one power or to another power. And what Jesus has on offer is remove that yoke. Of all those people, all the experts who want to tell you how to live, all the people who are burdening you and piling up and telling you how to be, remove that yoke and replace it with mine because I'm gentle. I'm a kind, kind master, and I will call you friend, and I will call you child. And that's the invitation. But, but he doesn't invite us to or offer to remove the yoke. He offers to replace it and to follow him. John Howard Yoder, um, and I'll have to get it up there because I can't remember the quote directly, but uh, made, made the point that redemption is a change of masters. And the New Testament use of this term is one of the strongest statements of the truth that the concern of Jesus, the concern of God in atonement, is our obedience, not our guilt. Yoder makes this point 
that in the atonement, what Jesus came to do was transfer us from one lordship to another. And that's what Jesus has on, on offer here. And he says, obey me. We, we get it in the gospel of John, but we get it in the gospel of Matthew. To, he makes it real simple. All of the obedience really comes down to this. Love God and love your neighbor. He simplified it for us. Those are the things. Love God and love your neighbor. And so as we, as we persist here uh, in, in these times that we live in, I hope this passage will give us a couple of things to take away. One is, if you are, if you haven't ever traded yokes, if you are burdened and have never come to Jesus, this is your opportunity now. Jesus is calling. Jesus is inviting you to take him up on his offer. And on the other hand, those of us who have been travailing for a while, those of us who have picked up the barnacles of so many people telling us you got to be this way and you got to be that way, there's also an opportunity for us to step back maybe and recenter and refocus on the one thing that really matters. And that's Jesus. And let the other stuff, the burdens that don't belong, go aside. So let me pray with you, and then we'll be excited to see some baptism as those who have making, taken this step to yoke themselves with Jesus. So Jesus, we do thank you for this opportunity to gather in your name. We thank you for this opportunity, Lord Jesus, to see people commit themselves to you and to commit their path to you. We pray your blessing on, on them. We pray your blessing on this, on this community. And may they reach you, Lord Jesus. May they reach out for you and reach out for their, their neighbors here. Not just us, other neighbors too, Lord. And, uh, and may they reach out and reach this city, Lord Jesus and this world for you as they follow you faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen.